Hey, you're listening to Southeastern University's Ohio Regional Campus Podcast. We pray that these chapel sessions encourage and empower you, inspiring your imagination and sharpening your skills and values, both for current and future leaders of Christ. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hope you guys would like to see some magic. Yes. Too bad, you're not gonna today. <laughs> you're like, oh, seriously? No, you're not gonna. Uh, actually, if you'd like to, uh, I'll be performing as of yesterday morning. I got invited to perform at the C3 uh, Network Conference that's happening this weekend. So who, who's going there? Anybody going that? All right, so you'll see me there. She's like, me, I'm going, yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so I'll, I'll be doing stuff there this morning. Uh, thanks for the warm welcome, David. I appreciate it. I love being here with you guys. Uh, it's always uh, exciting, but it's also uh, to be with you students, but it's also nerve-wracking because we've got John Musgrave in the room and so many of these other incredible leaders and pastors, and uh, so uh, it's just uh, awesome. So I'm going to look over here the entire time. <laughs> Besides, this is my good side, and there's a camera right here, so sorry, guys. I apologize about that, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, listen, I, I, what I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to spend the next hour and a half talking about all of the laws found in the Bible. 366 from the Old Testament. I'm just kidding. I'm, not doing I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm going to talk for the next 20 minutes or so uh, on a subject that I think is pretty important that I think that if you'll get it, if you'd be willing to submit yourself to it, that it will shape 2020 and make it different for you. In fact, I think it'll shape not only your year, I think it'll shape your relationships. It'll shape your online interactions. How many of you guys are online? How many of you have Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook? How many of you are doing that right now? Awesome. Hey! <laughs> I think it will shape not only your relationships, I think it will shape your opportunities to do ministry work, and that's what we're here for, right? Like, we're all here on a mission. And uh, so I want to talk to you guys about a subject that I think is just absolutely ripping our country apart, and that is literally division. We are a very divided country right now. 2020 is going to get even more divided. Like, I'm just, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You're just like, my God, Aaron, be more positive, all right? I'm positive there's going to be more division in 2020. Yeah, right. It's an election year, guys. And everybody was already really mad about you-know-who when he won in the election of four years ago, right? They're already on a war path, and we're going to be more divided. Now, I'm not putting myself on one side or the other. I'm just saying, this year, we're, we're divided over our politics, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Anarchist, wherever you fall politically, we're divided people. We're divided over racism, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. We're for the cops, we're for race. We're for all kinds of things that what happens is it divides us. It puts us in a position where we look around our lives and the people don't, that are not like us with our backgrounds, our income level, our marriage status, our, our political status, whatever insert status here, they didn't come from where we come from, they don't live where we live, they don't have the money we've got, they fall into a category of other. There's a division, right? And what's sad to me is that that's, that's what happens in the world. That's what the product of living the way the world has you live. You get division, it leads to that. It's a life that is focused on me, what I care about, and what I want, right? That's the product of it is division. But here's the deal. What's sad to me is that while that's a picture of the world, it's sadly a picture of the church. We're divided. We're divided by denomination. Well, I don't like them because they believe in speaking in tongues and we don't. 
or I'm not, I can't do ministry work with them because I'm Lutheran and they're Pentecostal or Baptist or whatever. We're, we're just divided. We're divided in our homes. We're divided in our marriages. We're divided over race. We got white church. We got black church. I don't even understand why that has to happen because heaven's not going to look that way when we get there, y'all. At my church, we have four different churches that meet in our building. We've got a Vineyard Church, an AG Church, uh, a Nepali Church, and an Ethiopian Church. They all use the same building, four churches, one Sunday. It's nuts. It doesn't work, at least not well. But we're trying. But why? Why are we divided? It's because there's, there's a problem here. Jesus is not central in our lives. See, what happens is Jesus came and Jesus prayed for something really, really important. And if you want a picture of what the church should look like, what your life should look like, what the product of following Jesus should look like, just look for what Jesus prayed for us. Like, that's kind of important, right? How how did Jesus pray for you? And the one thing Jesus prayed for was unity. Jesus prayed that we wouldn't have this division issue among us. In fact, he said this, John 17, 23, which I apologize. Uh, I thought the email said, get the notes here by Tuesday, and it said on Monday for them to be up on the screen. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. If you're not taking notes, go ahead and write this down. John 17, 23 says, I am in them, and you are in me. So he's talking to the Father. In other words, there's a unity going on here. I'm in you, you're in me. He says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me. And that you love, by the way, that's that agape word there, that you love them as much as you love me. So the outcome of a Christ-centered life, where Jesus is at the center of everything, is that you would love one another, right? That's all throughout your scriptures. Jesus even said, they'll know that you're my followers by the way that you love one another. But the product of that, the full picture of that, would be that we walk in unity. And yet, look at our world today. We're divided. Look at your news feed. We're divided within the church. We expect it outside of the church. But within the church, my brothers, this ought not be. Right? And yet, we are a product of living a me-centered life, not a Christ-centered life. Our politics are more important. Our, Our current thing, our current cause is more important. And Jesus said everyone's important. Amen, everybody? Everyone's important. The outcome of love would be unity. Paul said this in Colossians 3.14, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which does what? It binds us together in perfect harmony. That word harmony can be swapped out for the word unity. Yeah, that's what we're talking about, right? Unity. so, So if we look at the picture of the church today, we're missing something, right? We're missing something. Me is at the center of our lives. Our causes are at the center of our lives. Our political alignments are at the center of our lives. Your your Facebook posts, your comments, your anonymous comments, by the way. uh, Yes, I saw you. Your anonymous comments, Mr. Gamer645, whoever you are. You know what I'm saying? If that's you in this room, I didn't mean to just read your mail, but it might be a Holy Spirit thing, so just receive it. Just throw your hands up. (laughs) You, You... you're, 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 you're revealing through your words, through your actions. Maybe, maybe God sent you to minister to somebody, but because they're a Democrat or because their cause is different than yours, then you cut them off. We block people now, right? We block ourselves in relationship with them, but that's not what our mission is. It's just not. Are y'all hearing me? 
So, so look at some of your behaviors and some of the reasons that you've isolated people from your lives that you refuse to live on mission, you refuse to go to, and understand that the reason you're doing that is because something's off in your heart. I don't mean to come at you so early in the morning, but I'm here with a message. I didn't come to play patty cake with you. This is nothing new, though. In the Bible, Jonah, the same thing happened with Jonah. Do you know why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? His political leanings. He was a nationalist. His country was more important. He was a patriot. He stood for the country of Israel. I can prove it to you. When Jonah's on the boat and the storm is brewing all around him, he's asleep. Everybody else up top is praying to their different gods. They're calling on Krishna. They're calling on Buddha. They're calling on Muhammad and Allah. They're calling out to whatever God. Which one's your God? Because mine's not answering. Which one's your God? They're going around. And where do they find Jonah? Not praying. He's asleep underneath the boat. And they ask him a series of questions that basically summarize this one question. Whose are you? Who's your God? Who do you belong to? And then the last thing they ask him is, what country did you come from? And Jonah does not respond with what should have been the most important thing to him. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah had made prophecies. They'd come to pass. He had a reputation. He was known. And Jonah does not respond with, I'm a child of the king. I belong with God. His first response, look it up, it's in there. He says, I'm a Hebrew. The most important thing about him is what he led with. And I fear that in 2020, in this year where division already exists, the most important thing about you isn't Jesus. Hmm. See, Jonah, in, uh, in 2 Kings 14.25, it says that he ministered during the, the reign of King Jeroboam II. And King Jeroboam II had a very aggressive military policy against the Assyrians, understandably so. So much so that two other prophets that walked with Jonah disagreed with him. There was Amos, and I think it's Hosea. I wrote it down. Yep, Hosea. They were against Jeroboam's policies. They said, no, we ought not be behaving this way. We need to respond with compassion, with love. Don't agree with them. But Jonah, being a patriot, a nationalist, was against the Assyrians. Now, it's understandably so. It's understandably so in the same way that we can't stand the Taliban. How many of y'all got some hate for the Taliban? Oh, right, okay, maybe you don't want to raise your hand to that, right? But, but if you were being honest, the people that associate themselves with that are terrorists. They robbed us of a lot. They wronged us. They killed people. They're still trying to harm us. The Assyrians were considered terrorists as well. They were violent, vulgar, terrible people. They raped, they killed. I mean, the atrocities that they committed, the war crimes they committed, they didn't just kill people, they tortured them. So Jonah agreeing with King Jeroboam's aggressive military policy made sense. But when it came time, God sent Jonah. Do you know where he sent him? To Nineveh. Do you know what Nineveh is? Ready for your mind to explode? The capital city of Assyria. He sent a nationalist, a patriot, to, uh, and, um, uh, it's, it's like this, are you an American patriot? It's like Jesus sending you to the Taliban. <laughs> How does that feel? Not very good. Yeah, not very good, right? <laughs> this is making me a little uncomfortable, Aaron. I'm not sure. 
I'm a Democrat. Are you suggesting and implying that I'm a, I'm a far-right Democrat or far-left Democrat? You're suggesting that I need to go, that Jesus would send me to a left-leaning or to a right well, I'm getting all my words confused here, but you understand what I'm saying. To the other side? To the other? Yeah. To those that you are adamantly against? Yeah. And God sends Jonah. And Jonah says, nope. Instead heads to Tarshish. Gets on a boat. And you know what happens. When you allow division in your life, what happens is we miss the mission of Christ. We miss it. We, told, we absolutely miss it. You miss people that God has sent you to, which, by the way, is everyone. It's people inside the church. It's people outside of the church. It's, it's everybody. So, so, so when you allow this division, when you live from a place that is not centered in Christ, when your cause is more important, you'll respond with, I'm Hebrew and I fear Jesus, right? and I walk with Jesus, or, or whatever it is, I, I'm, whatever political alignment. Well, I'm for this, and I'm a Christ follower. You allow your, what, what divides you to be the most important thing about you. You miss the mission. You, you absolutely miss it. Now, I have to point out one division that is okay to exist, uh, whether you like Nickelback or not, and I'm on the not side, and that's the right side. Just wanted to let you know that. That's a reasonable one, isn't it? It's a reasonable one. Hmm. But what happens when you miss the mission is chaos and pain. There's loss on both sides. Because the people that you were sent to miss the message, the love of God. There's other people that you're going to walk with that your disobedience and your division is now going to affect them, the sailors on the ship. They lost all their, all their stuff on their ship. They also, they also had terror in their hearts. You want to talk about trauma, PTSD. Go through something like that. And then Jonah lost his freedom for a few days while he sat in the belly of a fish. Not even sure how that happens. Don't need to reconcile that right now. It costs everybody around you. This is nothing new. Like happened in the Old Testament, happened in the New Testament. You say, Aaron, that was fine. That was then. We have the Holy Spirit now. He dwells inside of us. There's no way I'm missing this. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. There is a way you can miss it. Paul addressed the church. I talked to him in 1 Corinthians 11. And he's talking to them about the way that they're gathering for their worship services. There was division. And he's like, hey guys, this thing is just a mess. Y'all are gathering together, taking the Lord's Supper. He said, but this isn't the Lord's Supper. There's divisions. He even used this one. It's a really strong, aggressive word. Doyle, are you getting this? It's, it's aggressive. He used the word factions. Right? There was groups, there was cliques. Oh, I hate that word in the church. There, there was groups of people... And in this situation, it's the have and the have-nots. It's the rich and the poor. And Paul's like, I can't commend you on this. Like, you know, you're doing lots of good things. But guys, there's division in our body. He, goes, he says this, in the following directives, I've got no praise for you. Your, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. He goes on to verse 20. He says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. He says, you call it that. But because of your divisiveness, that's not it. I would say Paul spoke to it a little clearer in 2 Timothy 3 when he said you got a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. Uh-oh. You're going to church on Sunday morning. You're singing in the, worship, uh, in the worship band and lifting your hands out there in the congregation and worshiping together, but then you go out and you live a life of division Monday through Saturday. It's a form of godliness. 
He said, no, that's, that's not what this is. He said, for when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. In other words, you exclude people. He's talking about the rich and the poor. Because here he says, as a result, one person remains hungry. That's those without. That's the have-nots. He said, and, and, and that in itself is pain, right? Somebody's excluded. Somebody gets isolated. Somebody doesn't have their need met. And then he says, and others of you are getting drunk. Now, that may sound like a good time to you, but let me tell you something. That isn't. Because they're just numbing whatever pain is in their heart and their life because they're living from a place of me instead of Jesus. This is better than you guys are amen, and that's okay. I'll do it. I'll be all right. I'll listen to it later, and I'll shout myself. <laughs> yeah. The vision costs. It costs the mission of Christ within our own bounds, within our own churches. Paul says, don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church? My God. Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? (laughs) What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Basically, all the rich folk were mean girls. You can't sit with us. You're not allowed. That's literally what they were doing. You can't sit with us. They were hurrying to have their meals before everybody got there. They'd eat everything, drink everything, and division occurred. No unity. No unity. Factions existed, and Paul was not okay with it. And he said as a result, just like with Jonah, he said there's some of you that are sick, and some of you have even died as a result of this. And you're like, well, Aaron, that's not me because I'm not sick. (coughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you're not physically sick. Maybe you've got some sick relationships. Maybe you've got some death that you're experiencing in other areas of your life, your finances, your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, in your marriage. Maybe you're suffering. You want God to bless you, but you're not willing to walk in unity. You're not willing to live a Christ. You're not living a Christ-centered life. We can't expect God to bless everything we put our hand to if we're not willing to do things his way. So, so there's an answer to this. Uh, th- that means I, I got to wrap up, guys, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> Thank you, Hope. You're amazing. Amazing. So there's an answer. What do we do? Well, Paul answers this in the rest of that chapter, 1128. The first thing you can do, if you're taking notes, write it down. Here we go. He says in 1128, everyone ought to examine themselves. Examine yourself. Listen, I know I've I've mentioned political stuff a lot, but there's other things that divide us. There's other stuff that divides us within within the church. Age, body shape, diet, which I feel personally attacked by. I don't even get invited to run the 5Ks with people. I don't know why that is. Just kidding. I get invited. I don't go. Wait a minute, I've got a reason. The Bible says only those that run, like you don't run unless you're being chased by the enemy, right? So it's biblical. (laughs) Oh, anyway, what were we talking about? Thank you. Here's the answer. Invite the whole. So here's my encouragement to you today. There's a couple things I want to tell you. These are quick points. They're practical. You can do this. Every one of you, from, from oldest to the youngest, from the wisest to not the wisest. It's all practical. It's easy. Invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Yeah. It's, it's just realizing that some of the stuff that, that is in you that divides you isn't necessarily your direct fault. 
You can be a product of your environment, product of the way you were raised, product of the television shows and the things that you were exposed to. You can be a product of your past decisions. And some of that stuff rests and hides really well until it doesn't. Until a moment happens like happened to me, December 2018. I was a pastor. And you think pastors have got it all, all together. Nope. Truth is, I'm a bit racist. I read a book called White Fragility, Why White People Don't Like to Talk About race and it's because, uh, Racism. It's mainly because we don't experience it in the way that everybody else who doesn't look like, like us experiences it. But as a result of that, I began praying, like, Lord, if there's racism in me, I'm not a racist. If there's racism in me, would you just search my heart? Lord, if there's divisions in me, would you just search my heart? And I didn't hear anything that day. But I was out filming a message. We do church on the go for the last Sunday of the year. We don't have service and. I was out filming it, doing spiritual things, everybody. God's work. And I had this equipment on me, and I had to pee, just like I do right now. Some of you are like, TMI, Pastor Aaron. Don't care. It's my, my platform, my opportunity. I'm going to use it forever I want. You can have me back or not. That's okay. But we were walking at Blacklick, and it was cold out, and, I, and, and there was a restroom there. But I had all this camera equipment on me, and I sent my son to the car, and, and I started heading into the bathroom, and... And there was a young black man who was wearing a hoodie that went in ahead of me. And something inside of me decided that that man might try to jump me and steal my stuff. And I decided as bad as I had to go to the bathroom, I wasn't going to the bathroom no more. And the Holy Spirit said, well, that was really racist of you. And I said, yeah, it was. And I started to cry. I was like, holy cow. There's just a seed that was planted in me that made me believe that a young black man in a hoodie was violent aggressive and is a thief. How fair is that? It's a seed that was planted in me that I didn't want there. So I said, Lord, just upend that racism in me. Just, just, so would you be willing to ask him? David did. David said, Psalms 139, 23, search me, God, know my heart. Psalms 26, 2, test me, Lord, and, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Yes. And, and here's the next step. It's already obvious. I already said it, but Repent. When the Lord shows you that you've got racism, even the smallest shred of it or the smallest amount of division in your heart, whatever it may be, just repent. And repenting, by the way, is more than just saying sorry. We know scripturally that if we confess our sins, God's faithful, even when we're not, to forgive us. Okay, that's awesome that your sins are forgiven. But then there's this repent part, which means go and walk a different way, walk his way. And what's required of that, when you look at the heart and the meaning of the word that is in the Greek for repent, it means to think different. And if you begin to think different, we understand that you begin to speak different. And when you begin to speak differently, you begin to act differently. So what does that mean? I think that when you decide to repent, that repentance requires you to make a plan to change things and share it with another person. You see that all throughout the Bible. Hey, Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm going another way. What do you do? Public confession, baptism. James 5.16, confess your faults, your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. Repentance, I believe, requires you make a plan and you share it with somebody because then you've got accountability. Then you've got somebody praying for you, encouraging you because here's the real deal. When you turn away from that which was sinful, there needs to be a healing and a reconciliation within you. So when the Holy Spirit talks to you about it, deal with it. Make a plan. Tell somebody. Holy cow, I'm standing in front of a room of people and this is not my first time telling people. I'm racist. I'm not proud of it. I'm sad by it. And I'm asking the Lord to deal with my heart in the smallest ways. 
last thing I'm going to say, say, and I realize it's, I am three minutes over my time. Don't tell me it's okay. I'm so ashamed. Here we go. Bridge the gap. Isaiah 58, 12 says that you'll be repairers of the breach. You'll be repairers of the distance between you and other people. And it's speaking to a time when Jesus would present himself here on this earth. We have Christ and we're living a Christ-centered life. This is our mission, to step across the aisle, to go to the other, to whoever is against our personal cause, that Jesus needs to be primary. And because of that, our behavior is such that we will do exactly what Paul was reprimanding them for not doing, is sit at a table and have a meal with somebody who's not like us. Oh, that's so much better. That's so good right there. Because I know there's fear and trepidation when it comes to sitting down with somebody who doesn't look like you, walk like you, talk like you, doesn't know what you've experienced. You don't know what they've experienced. But this is the way understanding comes. This is the way relationship happens. Jesus did it with Zacchaeus, by the way. We don't know what he said, but we know they had a meal. And Zacchaeus' life was changed. Young people, I need you to get this. Pastors and leaders, I need you to get this. We have got to reach across the aisle in 2020. You want to be part of a revolution? Do you want to be part of something beautiful? Bridge the gap. Be intentional. Have a plan. Tell somebody else about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to look in your heart. What divisions exist within me? David said this, one, Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's about unity. Live a life. The product of a Jesus-centered life is that we would love one another. Unity comes. Let's pray. Huh. Lord, I'm emptied. I, I came and said what you told me to say planted some seeds and maybe watered others that have been planted before. God, I just trust you now to do what you're going to do. I believe there's a generation that you are raising up that will live different, that will look different than the church has ever looked before. People that will be willing to bridge the gap, to be repairers of the breach, restorers of paths to dwell in. Lord, people that are willing to let you examine our hearts to search our minds for thoughts that divide us. So Lord, I just pray in this moment, search each one of our hearts. If you're willing, I just ask you, if you're willing to let the Holy Spirit search your heart right now, would you just kind of put your hands out in front of you? Just, just hold them out in front of you. Say, Lord, just search my heart. Just, just as a sign that you're willing. Lord, search our hearts. For anything that divides us within your church, Anything that keeps us from living our life on mission for you. Anything that keeps us from loving another person that you sent your son to bleed and die and resurrect for. Yes, Lord. Search us. And then, Lord, help us repent. It's uncomfortable to tell somebody else about sin in our lives, but it's your plan for us. So since it's your plan for us, it's the way for us to be healed. It's the way for us to walk in unity. Help us be bold and do it. Help us to find that person that would be a person of grace, that would be that righteous person. That's the end of James 5.16. That the prayer of a righteous man would do a lot in our lives. Help us find that person we can share that with. Plan for repentance. And Lord, show us who we need to have a meal with. 
Some of us already know who that is. Could be an estranged family member. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be somebody that just doesn't look like us because, man, we've been holding on to our roots and waving our Confederate flags and keeping our statues in place and our traditions in place and our causes in place. Lord, help us reach across the aisle and have a meal with somebody who's not like us. Lord, let us live in unity and in love for one another. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.